hard-hitting questions coming out of yesterday. You know, I think one of them was uh, whether or not the horns down is going to be 15-yard penalty uh, in the SEC in the future. That it was very important to finish uh, and to collect the trophy and to win 10 games and win a game on New Year's Day and all those things. And uh, believe me, we had a great belief in our locker room. We didn't have to do anything special, just be us. I was so proud of this team. We had so much fun, it ought to be illegal. I said in my press conference back in December that I didn't feel like there was anything at South Carolina that we lacked to be a championship program, that we had everything that we needed. I am even more convinced of that now after being there for seven months. So there's a report in the Houston Chronicle that, that Texas and Oklahoma are inquiring about joining the SEC. <laughs> I bet they would. <laughs> War Eagle. It was good to say that. All right. <clears throat> I didn't even remember that 12 years ago, but now that you say that, because I believe there was something about someone didn't have Tebow first team all SEC. And as usual, I was accused of that. So <laughs> I brought my ballot to, to show everyone, to show Urban. Um, so. Hey, buddy, this beer's for you, Mike, and Cousin Shane. That SEC podcast loves the Pirate, and the Pirate loves that SEC podcast. Hail State. Welcome in the latest episode of that SEC podcast. I'm your host, Michael Bretton. I go by SEC Mike on Twitter. And I'm flying solo for this episode, but don't worry, I got a terrific guest lined up. So much going on there in Gainesville with Dan Mullen and his hot seat temperature down there i know we just had thomas goldcamp if you missed it last week of 24 uh, 7 sports swamp 247 on the show wanted to reach out to another florida gator insider we got will miles from the read and reaction.com coming up here in a minute really wanted to get his thoughts because uh since we've even recorded there have been staff changes down there in Gainesville. So a lot of news to get to. So let's start right there in Gainesville. Hottest topic there, of course, in the SEC. And Gator fans got what they wanted. Todd Grantham officially fired by Dan Mullen, as well as offensive line coach John Hevesy. These are two guys that have been on staff there with Dan Mullen his entire time in Gainesville. And they both came from Mississippi State. John Hevesy, in fact, has worked with uh, Dan Mullen dating back to 2001. These guys go long ways back. And it's his case more than uh, Todd Grantham, more to do with recruiting than anything else because I certainly don't think offensive line has been Florida's biggest issue, although it does seem to be an issue from time to time. I mean, heck, they couldn't run on South Carolina. I don't necessarily think that was the reason he was dismissed. More about the fact that uh, recruiting has taken such a, a drop-off there on the offensive line for the Gators under Dan Mullen. But, of course, Todd Grantham getting the boot maybe a year too late, maybe uh, should have been done last offseason, probably would have bought Dan Mullen some goodwill there in Gainesville. But, man, it's hard to spin this one other than um, sacrificial lambs here. Dan Mullen had to fire somebody to keep his job and and who knows if he's even gonna keep it here this week nothing to really gain one way or another you could beat Sanford by 100 points it's not gonna cool this fan base and there is a report 
from Saturday Down South, Neil Blackman, that uh, Scott Strickland and some of the higher-ups essentially made Dan Mullen make these changes. What I don't know if quite uh, the story behind there, but uh, head on over to Saturday Down South, read Neil's piece, and basically just said the higher-ups have uh, demanded some kind of change, and there's also uh, some report that I've heard. I can't recall where I saw it from, but apparently Strickland and Dan Mullen got in some heated exchange and Strickland was kind of forcing changes there in Gainesville. So we'll see at the end of the day, if this is uh, enough to keep Dan Mullen employed there in Gainesville, I think he's got to win out because if you lose to Missouri, you lose to Florida state, Florida state's not any good. Missouri struggling. Of course, hell, could have said the same thing about the South Carolina Gamecocks coming into that one, yet uh, they obviously got it done over the weekend. So, like I said, a lot of news to get to here in Gainesville. Dan Mullen met with the media. And before we get to that, I should have noted that uh, linebackers coach, coach Christian Robinson is going to take over as the defensive play caller for the rest of the season there in Gainesville. And the uh, former Syracuse coach, Paul Pascalari, I think is how you say his name, He was kind of Dan Mullen's special assistant. I think that was his title, special assistant to the head coach. He's going to be elevated to a position now that uh, there's two openings there on Florida staff. I believe they're going to leave a GA to coach the offensive line. So that's where that's all at. But Dan Mullen did meet with the media on Monday. So let's jump into that on his decision to fire Todd Grantham. And John Hevesy. So obviously we realize time to time how much of a business this is. Mm-hmm. Just how difficult and what was kind of the emotional toll that it took on you to make those decisions to part ways with, I mean, a guy you've been with 20 years on a staff and then another guy you're a friend with. Yeah, you know, I mean, it's always hard because, you know, you have uh, – those guys are, are you know, uh, friends of mine. I have a lot of respect for them, both excellent football coaches. Um but it is, you know, I mean, my, my responsibility as the head coach is to do what's best and what I feel is best for the Florida Gators. Uh, and that, that comes above it all. And, and so uh, it was obviously a really tough decision to make. Uh, you know, it was something that was weighing on me. It was something that I uh, was looking and saying, hey, there's, you know, I, I think it hit. It's, I'm probably going to make changes at the end of the season. And I thought, you know what, for the health of the program, for the health of everybody, and if you know you're going to do it, we're going to uh, – let's make that move now and, and get us headed in the direction we're going into into the future. Specifically, specifically, what, what led – to those decisions, how, how did it kind of reach that point where you just felt like you had to make it? Down? You know, I, I just think, you know, with where we were playing, I looked at look at how we played Saturday and, and some things that built up to it of, you know, we weren't where we needed to be. I, I think you look into a season, um, you know, and, and every season, our goal here is to every season, you come in with a goal to win a championship. I think every, you know, I mean, we talk about this, every team shows up, their goal is to win a championship. Uh, very few do. Um, right, if you go to the national championship, there's going to be one that gets to do it. If you go to the Power Five conferences, there's five uh, in the country. Um, so it, it's hard to judge success by that completely. You know, that's obviously our goal. But I, I think I, you know one of the ways you look say it's a successful season is are you a better team at the end of the year than you were at the beginning of the year? Um, you know, and so for me, one thing looking at where we're at right now, we're 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 not better than we were earlier in the year. Uh, in fact, we're, we're we're worse than we were earlier in the year. Uh, so at, at that point I looked and I said, Hey, we, we got to make some changes. Uh, 
with what we what we're doing with where we're at um uh, you know and uh you know i i think part of that of the to do that and moving forward in the direction that we were going to go within the program moving forward um that's the decision I made for those guys. We'll start looking for people for replacements moving forward. Uh, it's a great opportunity uh, for a guy like Christian Robinson, a really good young coach, can have opportunity to go call a game for the first time. Uh, you know, I, I think we're I'm fortunate enough in the defense side of the ball that you, you move a guy in, in, in Paul Pasqualoni, who's one of the most you know respected coaches in, in football, uh, can move from kind of a, a my special assistant. Uh, person that that's with me that I lean on an awful lot to and on the field spot um, you know and and to really help out uh, a, especially a young guy like Christian in that role uh, moving forward uh, Mike Soling gets an opportunity I think he's a, a good young coach working with guys a great opportunity for him to co to get those O-line and I'm going to spend a lot of time with them and the O-line to make sure uh, we're getting the work done we need there all right so you could tell there I mean Mullen's a loyal guy man these are these were tough moves these are moves a lot of Florida fans would argue. Obviously, Todd Grantham, chief among them, should have been made long, long ago. Uh, but they they had to be made so that, in any hope, Dan Mullen could keep his job. And it was well known Todd Grantham wasn't going to come back. So you might as well make this move. It's going to be tough going into signing day, but that's typically what they do. Man, they they wait till after the signing period, then they make these changes. At least this way you can be more transparent with these recruits. You may not have a defensive coordinator lined up by that mid-December. I would think they're not going to, if, if I had to guess here. But we'll see how that plays out. And then here's also Dan Mullen. He had a lot more to say on how much he, responsibility he bears for Florida struggles. I thought this was interesting. He's taken all the responsibility. And he was asked about... Uh, the confidence that he has that A.D. Scott Strickland will bring him back for another season. I don't know how confident he truly is, given this uh, response he, he gave on Monday. How much responsibility do you think you bear for where we are right now? Me? I, I'm the head coach, so it's, I, I bear it, all of it. It's on my shoulders. You know, I'm the one that's responsible for this program. Uh, I'm the one that's responsible for this team uh, and how we go perform. And so, you know, I mean, that's, that's, that's your job here as the head coach is to take on that responsibility. Uh, and my job is to make sure that we go perform and this team plays to the Gator standard, which we're not doing right now. And uh, so, you know, it's my responsibility to find a way to fix that. Has Scott given you any assurances that you're going to be able to, you're going to get a chance to fix this next year? Yeah, Scott. I mean, my 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 talks with Scott is he think. I mean, and ours is he's pretty confident that that we're going to get this fixed. Now, I can't speak for him on that deal, um, you know. And and I mean, within his confidence, it wasn't about this year and next year. I mean, it was a long term picture of where we want this program to be uh, in in many years to come. So read into that how you will, but you know, he's saying long term here, but I don't know uh, because if. Scott Strickland does not pull the trigger and the Gators continue to go downward. I mean, Strickland may be next up. There was the issue, I believe, with the women's basketball coach down there. That That's somewhat of a black eye for Scott Strickland. The basketball program under Mike White is uh, not trending the way many Gator fans want it. So things are starting to stack up here. Scott Strickland may be in a tough spot here sooner rather than later if the Gator football program doesn't turn around. That's adds 
to the complexities of all these issues. And one other thing here, I wanted to throw it to Dan Mullen because I think this is going to be key. How attractive will positions like the defensive coordinator position under Dan Mullen be provided he does return, provided you got to assume he's going to be on one of the hottest of hot seats here in the country. How confident is he that he can land an elite defensive coordinator to come to Gainesville this offseason? Are you concerned with who you'll be able to get to take this job given, you know, who knows what your status is going to be next year moving forward? Are you on the hot seat, all that stuff? You know, are there going to be people, is there going to be people lined up to, to come? This, play, is, this, to is, this, this is This is Florida. So, I mean, there's, I think there's a, a long list of people that want any job they can get here at the University of Florida um, in, in any aspect. All right, so he sounds confident there, but I don't know. It's going to be tough. I mean, LSU, obviously going to be hiring a new head coach, and you got to imagine they're going to have their pick of the litter when it comes to defensive coordinator. Now you're going to – and speaking of LSU, I mean, that's kind of what it reminds me of. This time, a little over uh, – well, last offseason, Coach O trying to get defensive coordinators. He went after Cincinnati's Marcus Freeman, couldn't get him. Went to Notre Dame, tried to get Barry Odom, couldn't get him. I'm forgetting a couple others, but uh, Deronta Jones obviously was not the number one choice. But And I think most of that had to do with the fact that uh, everybody knew Coach O was maybe on some dicey ground there. So... It's going to be a little bit similar, I would think. And uh, that is something that I asked our guest, Will Miles. So let's get into that conversation. Really appreciate it. Will, giving me some time here on a Monday to discuss his latest article over at readandreaction.com. Highly recommend it. There's going to be a link to that article in the show notes as well as Will's Twitter handle, which is WillMilesSEC. So let's kick it over to that interview with Will. All right, Will, we're pleased to once again be joined by Will Miles. You can follow him at Will Miles SEC and head on over to readandreaction.com. That's where you'll find his latest article, The Narrative No Longer in Dan Mullen's Control After an Embarrassing Loss to South Carolina. And he's also got a show, Stand Up and Holler. I cannot recommend Read and Reaction and Stand Up and Holler enough. Will, thanks for joining me. I really appreciate you. No, nah, thanks for having me. I appreciate it. It's always always fun to talk about Florida, even if uh, even if it's tough times right now. Yeah. So, like I said, Ben, you did, uh, and I've seen the the reaction online. You've got to be thrilled with, uh, you know, everybody and everybody that's reading your latest article on Dan Mullen and just kind of the state of the Gator program. You did a heck of a job there. But I really wanted to ask you, you know, why his comments after the game about the band why did that really stick out to you of, of all the things you could have focused on yeah i mean you know you could focus on four and five you can focus on the stuff coming out from the athletic the week prior where they were talking to where sec east coaches were calling the team soft especially on defense but I, I think the big thing is is that when you look at the mullen era at florida one of the things that's been marked by is that he has been lauded when the team has gone 10 and three or 11 and two or last year when they beat Georgia, but he has started to, he tries to control the narrative. He tries to make sure that the only, that the information that gets out is tightly controlled by him when things start to go bad. And so, you know, 
when he was asked a question about the band, and that was something that he really emphasized when he came to Gainesville, is that he was going to go out there singing the alma mater, whether they won or lost. In the last two games, he hasn't. And then when they asked him about it in the post-game press conference, he said he didn't realize that the band was there. And then there was video from earlier in the day where, you know, in 2021, someone has video. And clearly it was, you know, a flippant response to a question that probably should have had um, a more thoughtful response. And if the response had been, you know what, I'm as frustrated as anybody. When you get frustrated, you do things that aren't necessarily within your character. It won't happen mm -hmm. again. Um, but you're right. I did promise that when I came here and no big deal or, you know, and, and I'll take care of it. Then everybody says no big deal. Right. But the you're right. I didn't realize the band was here. I'll get it fixed is the kind of response that starts to erode trust with a fan base that already has some eroded trust because of the performance of the team this year, because of the speed with which the changes on staff, obviously they came today but or late last night, but the speed with which the changes to the staff have been made, the loyalty there, the inability to make what seemed like obvious decisions, but hard decisions. And so instead of facing down that hard decision, you make an excuse. And that's sort of what it was on, on Saturday. That's the thing. That's why it jumped out to me in terms of his response for that particular question. Mm -hmm. And speaking more specifically on the action on the field, when's the last time you've seen Florida play so poorly? <laughs> so 2017 against Georgia and Missouri, you know, right before mm -hmm. and after Jim McElwain got fired, 2014 against Missouri at the end of the Will Muschamp era, um, and then probably sometime in 2010 in the last year of Urban Meyer's era. You know, th these types of games where you come in and let's be honest, South Carolina is a is a uh, plucky team maybe it's in South Carolina stadium the stadium is full Florida had no business losing to South Carolina just like a lot of teams have no business losing to South Carolina this year South Carolina is building Florida is supposed to be a more mature program they certainly are supposed to be a more talented program and instead and you know you lose a close game some turnovers don't go your way hey it's one of those games like we're on Madden where the computer just decides you are not going to win okay <laughs> maybe you can make some excuses but to get waxed by 23 points and it wasn't that close South Carolina mm -hmm. took their foot off the gas in the second half. Um, you know, so to get waxed like that, there's just no excuse. And the only thing that anyone can really talk about is, is that it looked like the team didn't want to be there. And that's not a reflection on the defensive coordinator. That's not a reflection on the offensive line coach. That's a reflection on the head coach when your team looks like it doesn't want to be there. And Mullen today said during his press conference that they played with great effort, but not toughness. And uh, I, I beg to differ. Mm. Well, let me ask you this, because obviously with Mullen, I think, as I think most people do up until this point, excellent developer of the quarterback position, excellent play caller, one of the best, not only in the SEC, but all, all of college football. What in the hell is Florida's identity on offense? Because I can't figure it out. Well, that's one of the problems is that there doesn't seem to be an identity on offense. They haven't been able to run the ball pretty much since the Alabama game. They've really struggled to run the ball. You can see if you look at their points per game, it tracks with the quarterback run game pretty closely. And so, you know, lo and behold, in the Kentucky game, Kentucky figured out how to bottle up Emory Jones and Florida couldn't put up any points. If you look at the game against South Carolina this past weekend, Florida couldn't get, you know, I think there was that there was that drive in the second half where they were in their own territory, like their own 30. And on third 
and one, they ran Emory Jones and couldn't get it. And then on fourth and one, they ran, I think it was Damian Pierce and, or maybe Malik Davis and couldn't get it either. And so, you know, for a team that leads the nation in running, rushing, or at least did up until the South Carolina game, to not be able to get a yard against South Carolina, who's one of the worst run defenses in the country, says that they've lost their identity. And you even saw it at the beginning of the South Carolina game. They came out with 10 straight passes. And all of us who follow the team, including many of the fans who were not necessarily beat writers, were like, what is going on here? Like, we all know South Carolina can't stop the run. Why are they throwing the ball? And I think it's a reflection of sort of what they have been seeing over the past few weeks where, you know, if you're not going to go out and be the most physical team in the, in the, on the field, you're not going to be able to run the ball. And that, that physical and toughness that Mullen was talking about there, I actually do agree with them. They did not look like a tough team against South Carolina. They looked like they wanted to be a finesse team. And, you know, the problem is, is with Kyle Trask, you can be a finesse team, but with Emory Jones and Anthony Richardson at this point, you can't, you got to put your shoulder down. You got to run over some people and you got to announce that you're, you know, that, that you're coming for the other team and that you're going to wear them down. And the only time they've done that this year was against Alabama. It was impressive when they did it against Alabama, but it turns out when you only do it once in a 12 game schedule, nobody's all that impressed. Now you reference it there, Todd Grantham, of course, gone defensive coordinator, John Hevesy, who's been, uh, I believe with Mullen since 2001, he's gone. Uh, what are your thoughts on those moves? And, and does that potentially clear a path for Dan Mullen to return next season as Florida's head coach, do you think? Yeah, I mean, so I think it's a, it's a start. I mean, obviously the fan base has been calling for Grantham's head for probably about three years now. Um, I think the people who follow the team have been calling for it since the end of the Oklahoma game. That Oklahoma game was representative of the 2020 season and representative of that. He didn't seem to be getting his message through to his players, not just in the Oklahoma game, but they, you know, the defense essentially cost Florida a shot at a national title last year with their mm-hmm. performances against Alabama and, and specifically against LSU and Texas A&M that Texas a and game, they had no business losing, and somehow they lost it because the defense couldn't stop anybody. The LSU game, they had no business losing, and somehow couldn't stop Max Johnson in his first start on the road in the swamp. So the Alabama game, hey, you can you can deal with that, right? I mean, you lose to the team. I mean, quite honestly, last year's Alabama team was a pretty transcendent team. I'm not sure anyone was going to beat them, but if the defense had been able to get any stops at all over the course of those three games, that season looks a whole lot different. And so people were calling for Grantham's ouster and a bunch of us, including myself, thought that it was a done deal at the end of the year, he'd be let done, be let go. Now the problem is, is that you start looking at that and then say, okay, well, Grantham hasn't necessarily made the adjustments that he needs to make, but is that indicative of, of his supervisor, right? I mean, his supervisor, the adjustment was to change the defensive coordinator. The fact that you didn't change that defensive coordinator and now the defense is still a problem and can't stop the run and can't stop counters and pretty simple actions is indicative that the decision-making process at the end of last year was flawed and that waiting until now the decision-making process has been flawed. I think if he'd have let go of Grantham, and, and Hevesy's a little bit of a different story because he's 20 years in and mm-hmm. he's more of a recruiting liability than he is necessarily an on-the-field liability, whereas Grantham pretty clearly has been an on-the-field liability at least the last couple of years. So what I think is, is that had Mullen let go of Grantham at the end of last year, he would have gained a lot of buy-in from the fans. If he'd let go of Grantham after the LSU game, I think he would have bought in, got a lot of buy-in from fans. But what this feels like is that 
Mullen got so embarrassed by South Carolina that his superiors and the people who support the program monetarily said a change needs to be made. And that's why the change was made rather than the change being made as part of a good decision-making process. And so that's, that's the thing that worries, I think me and, and other people as well, when they look at this is, was the change made because the change had to be made because the noise was so loud that a change needed to be made or was it part of a decision-making process that's going to make the team better in the long run because let's be honest if you're going to bring another defensive coordinator in you got to follow a good solid process to find a good defensive coordinator and bring him in so i i yes this is going to buy mullen time unless he unless he um uh, unless he antagonizes people who are who are higher than him in the uh, in the chain, and and his press conference today I think was one of his better ones over the past over the past couple of months, unless he he becomes obstinate or something like that, which I don't foresee happening. I think this is giving him a runway to next year. I think the 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 rope will be pretty short, which means that the selection of assistant coaches that he has is going to either be they're going to have to give some guys some guaranteed money or they're going to have a limited selection in terms of who they bring in at the coordinator in the offensive line position. But, um, you know, this is the University of Florida. I think at the end of the day, you're going to be able to bring in high-level coaches. The question is going to be, is the decision-making process for bringing those people in sound? And the reason you would doubt that is because you're not sure that the decision-making decision in terms of, uh, or the decision-making process for making a change was sound. Yeah, I'm glad you you said that because I was going to ask you, you know, he certainly seemed uh to believe that uh you know he'd be able to get quality coordinators in there it, but it kind of reminded me a little bit you know maybe you can't compare every situation but last offseason obviously LSU had a lot of trouble getting a defensive coordinator in there uh well that let's assume Dan Mullen does return does uh his ability to to land a coordinator do you think that will say a lot about his uh, future status there in Gainesville well, I mean, the defensive coordinator is going to have to turn around the defense the same way Mullen did in 2018 when he turned around the offense. Because at the end of the day, they're going to need better performance on that side of the ball. And I, to be honest, I think they have the players. So if you, if you look at the overall talent profile, Florida should lose to Alabama. Florida should lose to Georgia. Shouldn't have lost anybody else in the schedule this year, especially the way LSU was was uh, injured and hurt and sort of limping into that game, even though it was in Baton Rouge. So you know, that's sort of the baseline. And, and I think they'll be able to get that done with better, um, better defensive play. As far as the defensive coordinator, I think it's going to take a special situation. You're going to have to identify the guy who's like the Joe Brady when he went to LSU to take over that offense. Because if Joe Brady had gone to LSU and the whole thing had flopped, Orgeron got blamed. Right. And so that doesn't harm Joe Brady's career. Now, if Joe Brady had been some guy who was a head coach someplace else, got fired and then got brought in as offensive coordinator at LSU and the offense doesn't doesn't move, then he sort of got that. Well, he didn't get the head coaching job. He didn't get the job as a head coach. Now he didn't make a difference as a coordinator. Do I really want to bring in a retread as that next career move? So to me, that eliminates guys who are sort of. Um, you know, you'll hear people throw out guys who are head coaches right now who are on the hot seat, who might get let go, who might come in, who have relationships with Dan Mullen. I think it eliminates those sorts of guys. I think it brings into play guys who might want to get back into head coaching. So, you know, you've heard guys like Gene Chizik mentioned. That would make a lot of sense because if Chizik comes in and makes a difference at Florida in one year, then he's going to get to move on and be a head coach someplace else if that's what he wants to do. Now, he's got to want to do that. It's got to fit with his um, – 
know, with his family desires and things like that. But even, but Chiswick has enough of a background that if he comes in there and things don't turn around, then it can still be a blame Mullen, blame Grantham situation when, 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 um, and he would get additional opportunities. So that, that I think is going to be the calculus for people, come, for people who come in. It's, it's a high risk spot because you don't know whether Mullen's going to get more the next year, but it's also a high reward spot because if you do turn things around, I mean, the way Joe, Joe Brady is viewed in college football circles just off of that one year at LSU got him the job in Carolina. And if he wants to come back as a head coach in college this year, I think he'll have a list of, of organizations that are lining up to bring him back. And so, you know, that one year sets him up for the kinds of success that you can really get and being able to move up the ladder really, really quickly. And I think there will be some people who see Florida's opportunity defensive coordinator in very much the same way. So it won't be Will Muschamp. <laughs> no, it won't no, be Will Muschamp. No, no. I mean, to be honest, that, 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 you've heard that a lot. One, it doesn't mm -hmm. make sense from the standpoint of just, you know, bringing in a former head coach at the school to be a defensive coordinator um, doesn't make sense. Two, I think he's probably done enough at Georgia that he's going to get some opportunities elsewhere, which would make some sense. And then three, he's probably, I would think at this point in his life, I don't know that he's going to be looking to get a major college head coaching job. Maybe he just wants to relax and sort of be a mm -hmm. coordinator and let somebody else deal with all the stuff that Mullen's dealing with on a day-to-day -day basis right now, as opposed to um, having to be the front and center guy for, for one of these things. I, I imagine that as these guys, when they go through the pressure cooker of being a head coach, that when they get to step back and be a coordinator, that some of them really miss the power and prestige and authority and money that comes with being a head coach. Right. I imagine there are also people who just go, wow, being a coordinator is awesome. Like, I don't have to do any of the press conferences. I, don't, I get to recruit. I get to go out. I get to scheme and I get to coach. And that's it. And, and you know, some of these guys are real gym rats and Muschamp sort of, I, to me, the things that he struggled with at Florida were the administrative parts of being the coach and sort of the on-field decision-making type of things. It was not bringing in players and it was not coming up with defensive schemes. Um, you know, I, I think you can actually sort of relate that to Mullen in some capacity where the things he struggles with seem to be the administrative things from a recruiting standpoint, having the organization set out in a well, in a well-oiled machine type of way to accomplish those sorts of things. But he loves just drawing up plays on a napkin and going out there and, and, and chucking the ball around. So um, no, no Will Muschamp. So how I got to give you credit also for something you've been harping on for years, and that's the recruiting at Florida and how it's just it's it is what it is until, you know, as long as Georgia and Alabama and, and LSU are recruiting at such an incredible level. How in your mind does does Dan Mullen and Florida turn that around uh, to, you know, it's not going to be overnight or anything, but just just turn the direction of the recruiting around there in Gainesville. Yeah, well, this is actually where I think the staff changes might make a difference. I mean, there were some players who tweeted out some stuff. I'm sure they've been deleted by now, but tweeted out some things where they were actually happy that Grantham and Hevesy had been removed, which is a, a pretty damning indictment of, of, mm -hmm. of those guys when it comes to, you know, the guys on your team, you want them to have your back. And if you don't have their back, then, you know, hey, that says why, why some things might have gone south. You know, Neil Blackman over at Saturday Down South, today had an article out where a Florida staffer was quoted as calling it the most toxic environment I've ever dealt with. And so, you know, hopefully these are the people, uh, again, assuming that's true because it's one Florida staffer and you don't know what that motivation is and those sorts of things, but assuming that that has been excised from the building, then all of a sudden you've got 
players and coaches all moving in the same direction. Because I think when you look at it, what you saw against South Carolina was players and coaches moving in two different directions. And, you know, Mullen, even during his press conference, said that he thought that Monday through Friday, the team team played great, and then they didn't show up on Saturday. It's like, well, again, that says that the coaching staff and the players aren't moving in the right direction. So all of that to be said, that the best recruiters are going to be your players. And so if you've got a toxic environment, then when the, when the new prospects come in, yeah, they'll say great things when the coaches are around, but then when they take them on their visits, they go, eh, this is the way this works here. And, and, you know, that's, you want your guys on the team to be evangelists for the staff. And if they're not doing that, then that's where things get problematic. So to me, mm-hmm. young guys coming in in those positions who are enthusiastic, who get along with the guys, who make sure that the players become evangelists for the prospective players is the way you turn that around. And then the other way you turn around is you lock down the high schools in Jacksonville. You lock down the high schools in Lake City. You get down there to Lakeland and lock down those high schools. You look at it. I'm not sure you can prevent Alabama from coming down and taking players out of Florida, but you sure mm-hmm. need to be able to prevent Georgia from doing that. You need to prevent Clemson from doing that. You need to prevent Ohio state from doing that. Like Alabama is a machine and there are people who are going to want to go to Alabama and play for the tide regardless. And I'm not sure that you're going to be able to stem that at this point, but you got to protect your home, your home turf. You got to draw a circle around Gainesville and say in this circle, we will not lose. And, you know, yeah, you're going to lose a few, but at the end of the day, you got to win more than you lose. And, you know, I think it was, it was either last year's class or two years classes ago. I can't remember which one, like every top 100 wide receiver in the state of Florida went to Alabama or something, or it was like the top four mm-hmm. wide receivers in the state of Florida went to Alabama. You can live with one, you can live with maybe two, but if all your best players are going out of state, that, that's, that says something about your recruiting strategy and the relationships you're building, because it should be easy for them to stay home. And the fact that they're not, you know, again, hopefully the the changes they've made today are going to reflect that. But I I honestly don't know. All right. Last question for you, Will. I really appreciate all your time. Does Dan Mullen have to win out this regular season? Sanford, Missouri, Florida State. Does he got to win them all to keep his job? I don't think so. I think the the timing of getting rid of Grantham and Hevesy means that they're going to give Mullen another year. I think that's the writing on the wall. Again, if he does something that's like egregious, um, mm-hmm. you know, where it's like insubordination or or right. or or does something kind of like last week where he stuck his foot in his mouth talking about recruiting, and and the noise gets unbearable, maybe. But at the end of the day. If the administ- if the noise coming into the administrators was enough that Mullen was going to lose his job, without um, you know, with further declines in performance the rest of the year, then I don't know why you make the change with Grantham and why you make the change with Hevesy today. You either decide that you're going to get Mullen out of there and you're going to have Hevesy and Grantham stick around, or you decide you're going to ride this out to the end of the year and then make an evaluation there. And I think the fan base, if Scott Strickland had come out and said, look, we're not going to make any changes in season, stop asking for it, but we will make hard decisions at the end of the year. I think the fan base would have said, okay, what he just said is... (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> that everything's that everything is on the table and that Mullen's Mullen's coaching for his job. The fact that at this point he's made changes with Grantham and he's made changes with Hevesy, I think is a tacit admission that they're going to give him next year, at least to, to prove this thing out. And quite honestly, the turnovers have been really bad this year. And if they can fix that, there's going to be an improvement next year. The question is going to be how big of an improvement is good enough for the fan base. And the problem for Mullen and the problem for Scott Strickland is that, Mullen has lost a significant portion of the fan base where 10 and two and a loss to Georgia ain't going to cut it. And 
I don't know whether 10 and two and a loss to Georgia next year is going to cut it for, for Strickland. And there's a disconnect there in terms, I think a little bit in terms of what the fans expectations for success in 2022 is going to be versus what the administration's idea of success for 2022 is going to be. And I'm very interested to see how that works its way out because, you know, we saw it this year with Grantham. There was nothing he could do that was going to bring some of the fans who wanted him gone at the end of the year back short of shutting out Alabama LSU, Georgia, and Kentucky, right? Like, like if Florida won those games because they gave up no points, maybe some people in the fan base would have forgiven Todd Grantham. But the first time he gave up 200 yards rushing, it was going to be he needs to go. And it is interesting that the defense up until the LSU game was actually playing pretty well. And still, you heard a lot of when's Grantham going to go, when's Grantham going to go. I think you're going to see the same thing next year, right? Is even if things start out well, even if Florida plays well, I think they face Utah to start the season. You know, even if they come out of the shoot 3-0, 4-0, there's going to be a segment of the population that's waiting and saying, hey, you haven't shown it to me yet against Georgia. You haven't shown it to me yet against Alabama. Until that point, I'm not signing off. I'm not coming back on the bandwagon. And that's unfortunate because, you know, you really want your fan base to be on the wagon and heck from, from my perspective, from a, uh, from a selfish perspective, it's a lot more fun to write about a program that's winning where everybody's in lockstep with the administration, with the coach than it is to write articles about what kind of changes need to be made. All right. He's Will Miles. He's at Will Miles SEC. Head on over to readandreaction.com to read his latest. Will, I really appreciate it. Uh, thanks for joining me. I, I really, really do appreciate it. Thanks so much, Michael. Appreciate it. All right, some great stuff from Will. I really appreciate him joining the show. And once again, his Twitter handle, WillMilesSEC. Head on over to ReadAndReaction.com. Read his stuff. He does an outstanding job over there. Support what Will's got going on over there, covering the Florida Gators. He does an outstanding job there. And check out his show. The links to all that can be found in the show notes. Another A great point he made there, kind of noting that, uh, you know, I thought uh, of all the things that Will – said there the thing that really stood out to me is the fact is that talk on the defensive coordinator and Dan Mullen will have to find his Joe Brady so to speak and I'm not saying that uh, this guy would take the job not heard anything about it but there's one guy that I think fits that criteria and it would potentially hurt your key rival Looking up there at Athens, co-defensive coordinator inside linebackers coach Glenn Schumann. That is a name that if I'm Dan Mullen, I pick up the phone and try to get to Gainesville. I think it would make a lot of sense. He's Now, he's been with Kirby Smart. Glenn Schumann has since his days at Alabama. He's been there the entire time. He And just think of all the linebackers that Georgia has seemingly annually. They've got an all-SEC linebacker or two. They're landing four- and five-star linebackers every single offseason. That's a guy you implement the, the Nick Saban, Kirby Smart-style defense. Now, it's not as simple as picking off one of their guys, and obviously overnight it, it's going to help you out, but it's certainly going to help you on the recruiting trail. Glenn Schumann noted as one of the uh, top recruiters in the SEC just something to think about. And it, it kind of fits the profile of what Will was talking about with uh, with Kirby, Dan Lanning, Will Muschamp, how much light is getting shown on, on Glenn Schumann and the job he's doing down there for the defense at Georgia. I don't know. I don't know if he gets enough credit. But I know him as one of the best 
assistance in the SEC, and it's go. It would be tough, I would imagine, to get him from Georgia, particularly to go up uh, to a division rival. Uh, I don't even know if he'd take the job, to be honest with you, because of you know I don't think Kirby Smart would hold it against him by any means, but I don't think he'd want to lose one of his key assistants to Dan Mullen. But maybe that's a move you make because it would elevate you to if Glenn Schumann wants to be a head coach. He's going to need to be a full-time defensive coordinator, probably away from Kirby at some point. So, hey, that's just a name that uh, pops out. And again, I'm not saying that I'm hearing that already or anything like that, but uh, that is one that you potentially really help your defense and you hurt Georgia at the same time. So be interesting to see who Dan Mullen tabs here, if he even keeps his job there in Gainesville. But that's one guy that uh, I would have circled on my radar. And speaking of the Bulldogs, let's jump on down to Athens real quick. Where one thing, and why this really popped into my head, I heard it uh, from Paul Feinbaum on the radio interview. And I know some people really don't like Paul Feinbaum. I love him. I think he's fantastic. He's one of the best in the country for a reason. There's a reason he's quickly become one of the faces of uh, ESPN's college football coverage. And, of course, the SEC network is because, you know, he just does such a damn good job and he's kind of dominated the uh, radio landscape there in the South for so many years. But that being said, and I'm not trying to totally pick on him because I'm seeing it from a lot of places, but I did see an interview with him on Monday where he was talking Georgia Bulldogs and basically said this is not an all-time Georgia team because the offense the offense holding them back from being in the class of 2020 Alabama, 2019 LSU, and teams of that caliber because they just they don't have anything special on offense. And again, I'm seeing that from a lot of people. A lot of people think that the offense could potentially hold Georgia back from winning it all this season. And I push back on that one because, of course, they lost their starting quarterback. George Pickens not in the lineup. Darnell Washington took him several weeks to get in there. So many injuries at the receiver position. We're slowly getting those guys back. Uh, Don Blaylock is not yet back for the for the Bulldogs. Uh, we've had Arian Smith. You know he, he's working his way back on and on. Jermaine Burton was banged up. So many issues there with the Georgia Bulldogs. Yet. Look at some of these stats here for Georgia's offense in the SEC. And these, I don't cherry pick uh, anything. These are crucial stats that uh, define your success, in my opinion. Yards per pass attempt, Georgia, number one in the SEC, yards per, per pass attempt. That's a critical stat. Number two in scoring offense, obviously an important one. Number five in explosive plays. And I'm counting those as 20 or more yard plays. And number five in third down conversion rate, 45% on third down are the Georgia Bulldogs. And again, they're doing this with a, a backup quarterback, limited receivers that are getting better and better each week as they get healthy. And an offensive line that, you know, to be fair, has kind of had to gel a little bit, but I think they're there now. And they've got a, all these running backs that have, uh, you know, most people in the country would trade their running back room for Georgia. So you combine all that. I mean, this offense is playing to the caliber that they 
can be SEC champions, that they can win the national championship. And I'm not even talking about quite possibly the best defense we've ever seen in the SEC. I don't, I don't want to crown them just yet until they go out there and, and, and win it all. I don't think he can give Georgia that title, but they're well on their way to being elite. So I ain't buying the fact that uh, Georgia does not have the offense to put them in that elite category. They are there so far this season. Now they got to finish the deal. Obviously that's going to be the most difficult portion of this season, but I've seen nothing that indicates that Georgia is going to drop off or not have the pieces on offense to get there. Now there is one issue there for the Georgia Bulldogs, because I'm not trying to sunshine pump over here. One area of, that needs to be improved. And if the Georgia Bulldogs get beat, this is how it's going to have to happen here. Converting touchdowns in the red zone. That has been an issue for the Georgia Bulldogs. They've been down to the red zone 42 times. They scored a touchdown 24, 24 out of 42. That's 57% which you may think is good, but that's 11th in the SEC, 81st in the country. And again, I mean, it's damn near impossible to score on Georgia, but if somehow you find a way to do it a couple times and you allow their offense to move the ball, but they stall in the red zone, that's about the only way that I could see someone beating the Georgia Bulldogs as they fail to score in the red zone. And that is something specifically – Kirby was asked about on Monday converting more in the red zone. Let's kick it over to Kirby. How do you guys go about doing a better job of converting your red zone trips into touchdowns? Converting third downs, uh, scoring from further out, uh, being able to run the ball better. I mean, if you, you you had to pinpoint one thing, it would be execution. So you would say, okay, one guy kept us from doing this, whether it was a penalty, whether it was a mental error, whether it was a decision by the quarterback. Um, but usually in the red area, when you can run the ball stubbornly, you can score touchdowns. Uh, and when you can't run the ball stubbornly, meaning there's people in the box, it doesn't matter how many because there's not as so much depth on the field. People aren't worried about the ball being thrown over their head. So you've got one extra hat, in some cases two extra hats to block uh, in the red area. So you've got to be really well executing to do that. All right, so of all the problems to have, I mean, I'll, I think they'll take that. And I do think at, at times, you know, that is a reflection of the quarterback. I have heard that NFL scouts, that is one area of the field. They look at more than any other when they study a college quarterback. How do they perform in the red zone? Because that's the best way to simulate NFL defenses with the windows shrinking down, more guys in the box, decisions are tougher. Uh, those throws have to be more accurate. You got bodies flying around there. So, again, not saying that uh, because I don't think that Stetson Bennett will play quarterback in the NFL, that's going to cost Georgia Bulldogs. But it is somewhat of a reflection on him. Although Stetson, as we've seen, I mean, he's got that ability to run and, and he utilizes his legs in the red zone as well. So that's just something to think about. And, again, I know, hell, I just on the last episode I said, Stetson looks like the man. Don't mess with it. But – uh, that one key stat could be a poor reflection on him, although uh, Kirby certainly didn't call him out here specifically. All right, next, let's kick it all down to Fayetteville, where I just wanted to point out to the fact that I can't recall if I referenced this on the show or not on the last episode, but I'm going to say it again. The turnaround under Sam Pittman in Fayetteville has, we all know, it's been incredible, but how incredible has it been? 
Arkansas was a 43-and-a-half-point underdog in Baton Rouge the last time they went there, 2019, the year before Sam Pittman got there. Now we're a three-point favorite going in to LSU. I think that line has actually come down to two, maybe two-and-a-half, but the point remains the same. The arrow is significantly pointed up in Fayetteville, and I understand that uh, LSU, I mean, they've taken a – significant step down since that 2019 season that's what happens when you have arguably the best college football team of all time but if nothing else this has got to be a sign for the Razorbacks that man they hit the grand slam of a hire and it's a, a lot of it's about personality and fit and all that I mean would Sam Pittman be a big hit at Tennessee or South Carolina Probably not, to be honest with you. But that don't matter. He's a great fit for the University of Arkansas. It's where he wants to be. It's where he's been able to assemble a staff and get the most out of these players. And, man, I could not be more fired up if I'm an Arkansas fan going into a game like this. Being the favorite doesn't guarantee you anything. You were a favorite against the Auburn Tigers and you lost. But, hell, now that I'm sitting here thinking about it, you know, Arkansas thrives in that underdog role. But, hell, you were – Favorite against Mississippi State, too, and you beat them. So just wanted to point to the fact that uh, Arkansas, man, things have turned around in a hurry. And if this is how much things change in a two-year span and things continue to trend in the right direction, just imagine where you could be in two year, two more years. Hell, you may be uh, one of the college football playoff contenders, one of the true SEC contenders in that short of a time it truly can happen and if you had, if you had need if you're doubting that look no for, further than being 43 and a half point underdogs to a three-point favorite just two years later against one of the teams in your division you came in LSU won the national championship the year before you got here you're going down there and you're in your 20th game here and you're favored over them but did you ever think the wildest expectation that the program had get to where it is this fast? Well, I think it's a little bit of combination of the both both teams, obviously. Um, but um, I don't know. You know, I've, I've got a strong belief in the University of Arkansas. Um, we came here to try to win football games, you know, the best we know how. Um, but – no, going to LSU at night and being favored in year two, probably, probably, honestly, probably no. All right, one other thing that uh, kind of caught my attention here, kind of waiting for Cousin Shane to do a deep dive and break down some of these games, but let's jump all down to Oxford real quick where we got a another huge, huge matchup. Texas A&M and Auburn just had another great battle, just had a – you know, the biggest game of the SEC weekend last weekend. It had the most hype and anticipation. Now the Aggies find themselves doing that again, this time against the Ole Miss Rebels. College game day will be on location. And everybody keeps looking for Heisman contender. Who's going who's go to win the Heisman? Who should be favored? I really think that Matt Corral has the opportunity once again to really jump up. Hell, I already have him up there. I think he's certainly a finalist at this point. But with no one jumping up there and seizing the moment, I know Ole Miss has lost a couple games, but this may be the opportunity 
that he needs on a national stage, CBS, game of the week here in the SEC, facing a Texas A&M defense that, aside from Georgia, maybe the best in the entire country this season, if Matt Corral and Lane Kiffin find a way to have success against his Texas A&M defense, this could be a Heisman moment for Matt Corral. Now, of course, on the flip side, for the Aggies, if they keep playing the way they are, whew, this might be an opportunity for Mike Gelko to land himself a head coaching job to slow down the lane train and his offense and Matt Corral, of course. So, man, I cannot wait for this matchup, but that's kind of the, the biggest thing on my mind this Monday, thinking about Ole Miss, Texas A&M. Obviously didn't get this matchup last year due to COVID, so this is uh, one of the games in the SEC that I'm most looking forward heading into the season just because we didn't get Jimbo versus Lane. Now we're going to get it here on Saturday. It should be a fantastic game, uh, and I just hope that uh, we get a little bit more offensive production from these two than we got in last week's game of the week there, Auburn and Texas A&M. But hey, so that's going to do it on this episode. I do appreciate each and every one of you for hanging out. And as always, if you made it this far, we would really appreciate a five-star written review on the Apple Podcast app. And for each and every one of those, we'll send you a beer koozie free of charge. Been mailing those suckers out all season. Be happy to send you more. We just need uh, you to give us those five-star written reviews and send those on over to that secpodcast at gmail.com and we're happy to send those off your way but that's going to do it cousin shane will be back on the next episode (laughs) get y'all the next one